You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It is homecoming season across the country, and that means a lot of us are traveling back to our alma maters, watching football games, or even just reflecting on our time in college or high school. For many Americans, they're thinking, talking, and writing about their time at historically black colleges and universities. You just heard some music from the 2002 film Drumline starring Nick Cannon. It's a movie about a marching band at the fictionally uh, rendered historically black university Atlanta A&T. High energy marching bands and halftime shows are one of the first things many of us think about. We think about HBCUs and that movie played a big role in that. The history of those schools though is rooted in some of the most painful times in American history. After the Civil War, most institutions of higher learning still banned qualified African Americans from attending. So new colleges and universities were formed to primarily serve black students. Most of those colleges were and are in former slave states. Today, there are more than 100 HBCUs in the United States. What role have they played historically, and how has that role changed over the years, if at all? And how are those institutions themselves changing. A little later, we're going to hear from an expert and a former student about the larger trends affecting HBCUs. But first, we want to talk about the culture of HBCUs and what it means for alumni to have attended those institutions. Joining us for that conversation is Justin Tinsley. He's a writer for The Undefeated, which writes frequently about HBCUs in its coverage. And Aaron Dodson, who is an assistant editor at The Undefeated, recently wrote an article about the significance of the movie Drumline in depicting HBCU marching band culture. Justin and Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Yes, absolutely. So, as I said, for a lot of people, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when they think of HBCUs is uh, the marching band culture that uh, that exists at those schools. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a show here uh, where we talked about the, the marching band culture here in the Midwest uh, with Big Ten universities. I attended one of those universities. University of Michigan was in the marching band there. It's a totally different experience than being in the marching band uh, at, at an HBCU. Uh, Aaron, you wrote about this uh, recently and how the movie Drumline changed that. Talk about how that culture helps shape the experience at those schools. Definitely. So actually, oddly enough, I mean, kind of a fun fact is the concept behind Drumline originally started with Nick Cannon's character, Devin Miles, attending a, a high school in the Midwest, kind of like the, <laughs> the, the band in the Midwest that you talked about. Um, but Fox didn't really like the concept of the movie, and they switched it to be told in the South um, at an HBCU um, to kind of tell the story of a Southern HBCU show-style marching band. And we've never really seen, before that, before 2002, we had never really seen that in a movie or really depicted on television. And so this movie kind of brought this subculture that's very popular and very prevalent in the, in the South mm-hmm. to the mainstream um, of Hollywood. And, and it did a really great job. And it, this movie has kind of lasted the test of time in the past 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin, you are an alum of Hampton University and HBCU in Virginia. Uh, the Undefeated writes frequently about HBCUs and some of the issues that, that surround them. It's not just marching bands, of course. Uh, but but talk about your decision to go to an HBCU 
and sort of what you feel uh, what you feel like is is significant about your association with that institution today. I always get the sense that that folks who went to HBCUs feel much closer to their colleges than people like myself, who you know I'm a big Michigan fan and uh, I, I have close relationships uh, with the university, but I, I feel like it's different for kids from HBCUs. Um, yeah, and every time like I have this conversation, I always want put a, excuse me, put a disclaimer out there and say, look, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that, you know, you should go to an HBCU <laughs> as opposed to a predominantly white institution. Like I, I feel like you should go wherever you think you're going to feel most comfortable. I happen to just choose a HBCU mainly because it's, it's it was rooted in my family, and that's the kind of culture I grew up around. Uh, I was, I'm from uh, Petersburg, Virginia, Etcher, Virginia, South Chesterfield, whatever they're calling it now. They always rezone and redistricting. So right. I'm, I'm going to just call it Petersburg because that's what I grew up around. And literally two minutes away from my house is the campus of Virginia State University. Okay. My okay. grandfather was a coach there. My uncle went to college there. Um, it's deeply rooted in my family. My mother went to the historically black college, South Carolina State University in Orangeburg. My grandmother went to Xavier down in New Orleans. Uh, and I have so, so much family who, so, so much family members who, so many, excuse me, so many family members who went to South Carolina State. And I have family members from North Carolina A&T. You know, and the list just goes down. And I used to go to Hampton University basketball games all the time. And one of, one of the biggest memories of Hampton in my mind is obviously when they beat Ohio, not Ohio, but uh, Iowa State in uh, the tournament that one year. And I was like, oh, man, like, I go watch those guys play all the time. And it was just something I grew up around. I had considered, you know, other schools. Like, I wanted to go to the University of Miami, mainly because it was in Miami, not because I really knew anything about the school. But I always knew at some point I was going to end up at an HBCU because that was kind of all I knew. Yeah. And I just love to answer your question about, you know, why, the, why does it seem like HBCU grads uh, – have such, I guess, like pride in their schools, mainly because when you're at an HBCU, not even just in the classroom, but when you're just on campus and you just talk to people, you feel the history of that university. Yeah. Like, you know, when I was in Hampton, they tell you this is Emancipation Oak. This is the statue of Booker T. Washington. Or mm -hmm. when you go to A&T, they have a museum for the the lunch counter that the, 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 that the students sat in in the early 60s during the sit-in protest. So, like, you feel that history and you feel connected to it. And like you mentioned to start this segment off, that uh, these schools were founded because, you know, contrary to what, you know, Betsy DeVos might think, like, they're, <laughs> you know, African-Americans didn't really have options right. after the Civil War in terms of higher education. So these institutions were created. So you keep all that in mind. And it's just you have you have no choice but to feel like pride for that school because you're not you're not really feeling pride just in yourself you're feeling pride in just like the generations before you yeah yeah uh aaron uh, i want to read a quote from the article you wrote about the hbcu marching band culture you said the idea of marching bands consisting of quote uncool kids was laid to rest with the premiere of fox's uh, 2000s uh, drumline. Uh, the beloved film successfully makes the case that marching bands, especially those found at historically black colleges and universities in the South, are melting pots of artistic athleticism. I love that phrase, by the way. I think that is a perfect way to describe uh, that. Uh, the, the idea of of the band being cool is is one of the other things that uh, I think is is it's not unique to HBCUs, but it is different at an HBCU. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. I think that the common perception of 
people in marching bands or, or bands is that there there's sort of a, a nerdy aspect to it. And at HBCUs, that's completely different. Right. I mean, students actually receive scholarships to come to an HBCU and join the marching band. And just the training, the rigorous training, and sort of some of the things that they undergo in terms of getting into the marching band holding their spot in a marching band is mm-hmm. very analogous to being on a sports team. I mean, I, and I think that in drumline, you kind of saw that. I mean, Devin Miles, Nick Cannon's character was a hotshot freshman recruit. He comes in and he kind of takes <laughs> the shine away from Leonard Roberts, character, Sean Taylor. And there's a lot of elements in that film that are, like I said, analogous to being on a sports team in college sure. and, like big time college football at HBCUs, it's big time marching band. Um, <laughs> and after football games, well, a lot of it's funny because a lot of um, people at HBCUs and Justin can maybe attest to this. After the football game is over, they have what's called a fifth quarter, and the right, bands go right. back on the field and they perform <laughs> against each other and they battle against each other. And a lot of people come to the football games just to see the band, just for that, uh, right? <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah. So. I mean, that culture at HBCUs, it's unlike anything in the country, I believe. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to tell this story through Drumline. Yeah. Uh, One of the other things that's interesting about Drumline to me, I guess, is that this is a black story. It's it's about a, a black college and mostly black students at that college. But it had tremendous crossover appeal. I mean, it had tremendous mainstream appeal. And I thought it, it, it kind of uh, proved that black stories are not uh, uh, anathema to, to, to white audiences. I mean, I, the number of uh, white folks I know who have seen that movie, not just once, but have watched it a couple times, you know, and, and catch it on cable every once in a while, is pretty, is, is pretty remarkable, Aaron. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of funny that um, when when Fox 2000 set out to make this movie, they were actually a little hesitant about making um, an all-black film. Uh-huh. Um, and in the story, in, in the oral history of Drumline, um, there's a lot of voices kind of talking about how Fox really wanted a white character in the movie. Um, and they set out to to create a white character for the movie um, just so it could have a little more crossover appeal. Mm-hmm. But I think that the movie kind of stands on its own. It, it didn't really need uh, the white character. Obviously, GQ's character of Jason Floor um, is a nice added element to the movie. Um, but all the actors that I talked to for this oral history, they were saying that a lot of people come up to them nowadays and most of them are not black and most of them kind of say how much they they love this movie how much they didn't know about hbcu marching bands they didn't know about hbcus at all and this movie kind of was an entry point into that conversation into that world and that these people are forever indebted to the actors and the producers of drumline for bringing this subculture to life on screen yeah yeah Okay, Justin Tinsley, writer at The Undefeated, and Aaron Dodson, assistant editor at The Undefeated. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. 
Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about historically black colleges and universities with an expert and another alum. And we want to hear from you. Did you attend an HBCU? What was your experience there? And how important do you think these institutions are in terms of higher education and social environment? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about historically black colleges and universities, their role historically in the United States, their role today, and how that role may be changing in the future. And of course, we want to hear from you. Did you attend an HBCU? What was your experience like, and what role do you think those institutions are playing right now in America. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, joining us now to talk more about this issue is Dr. Felicia Commodore. She's an assistant professor of higher ed at Old Dominion University. Her research is in the area of HBCU leadership, governance, and administrative practice, as well as black women and leadership in higher education. Also joining us is Erica Cheatham, event coordinator here at WDET. She recently wrote about her alma mater, Tennessee State University for Very Smart Brothers, a website uh, that we frequently have guests and discussions about here on uh, Detroit Today. So, uh, Felicia and Erica, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Uh, Felicia, we talked uh, briefly about this uh, in the uh, previous segment, the way that uh, HBCUs are changing, uh, having to change in some in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the the comments by the Secretary of Education that that I think quite mistakenly uh, characterized uh, the the history of the of these institutions. But but sort of just bring us up to speed with where we are with HBCUs right now, uh, what role they're playing, and what role they're being asked to play. I guess into the future. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, I think when we take a step back and we look historically at um, how uh, historically black colleges and universities came to be, right, we're looking at institutions that were mostly founded at the end of the Reconstruction era, right, to give an opportunity for recently freed slave and African-American um, students to receive education mm-hmm. um, when they were largely not able to do so um, at uh, predominantly or historically white institutions. Um, and now we look today um, at where HBCUs are. And in some ways, though they have changed, they still serve um, a very unique purpose. Um, they have a very unique mission that um, still remains relevant today, and that is to um, be a space that um, empowers, that values black lives, black minds. Um, it is a place for um, students to go, particularly African-American students, um, where they will be able to feel free to um, foster their minds and and, and um, 
really learn and grow and prepare themselves for the future um, in a space where their um, blackness and their identity um, as African-American students is not questioned, but um, it is uplifted and empowered. Um, However, there have been, um, as you know, um, as society changes, right, we, there are, um, there have been changes um, that have um, now African-American students technically can go um, to wherever they want. Uh, Climate-wise, we would argue that could probably be something we could debate. But um, that does not mean, you know, a lot of people would argue then why do we need HCs? And I I argue that that relevancy question is off the table. Mm -hmm. Um, We see that this is still, there are still institutions that um, are needed, and especially in the racial climate that we have um, in our country today, um, for black students to be in a space where they're, they are still valued, they are empowered, um, they, um, there's a mission of uplift um, and, and a real belief in these students and cultivating them as uh, tomorrow's leaders. But it also has become a place for other um, communities and students from other communities to um, find a, a, um, access to higher education. Right. Um, we know a number of campuses that are HBCUs um, are uh, make higher education accessible to first-generation students, um, uh, students who are from lower SES backgrounds, who are more um, Pell Grant eligible students. And so it really, they've really become beacons of access, um, but also places that um, are student-focused and student-centered. Uh, we talk about in higher education, um, this idea of being student-centered and student-focused. Well, HBCs were doing that um, far before um, a lot of other institutions were, and it's one of the things that make them unique campuses and why they um, can sow into their students and make them successful. And so, um, as I said, though things are changing, a lot of things are staying the same, but they, um, we are seeing more developments on um, HBCU campuses. We are um, seeing a number of campuses that are becoming um, increasingly diverse, not that they weren't diverse before, but right. becoming diverse in various ways. Um, and so uh, I think those are some of the ways that we are um, seeing them change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Erica, your, your piece focused a bit on the difference between private and public HBCUs, which which a lot of people I think don't um, don't don't understand that there is a there is a distinction there, yes. and that uh, uh, that that's part of also the the diversity that we're starting to see at uh, at HBCUs. Absolutely, when I attended Tennessee State University, um, and I'm sure that it's still the same. Uh, there is a very friendly rivalry between Tennessee State University and Fisk. <laughs> Fisk is only a mile down the street <laughs> from Tennessee State. Uh, that university was founded in the 1800s. We were founded about 50 years later. Uh, so, of course, they have this pride that they are a little bit older. Um, they have, you know, the reputation with the Jubilee Singers, which is a long-storied uh, black choir that has kind of toured the, the globe. Um, so that's a, a thing that they, you know, historically have huge pride over. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a private university, so it's a little bit tougher to get into. Uh, the curriculum is seen as being a little bit more rigorous. It's a smaller campus. The tuition's a little bit higher. Uh, the the access to the number of scholarships and that sort of thing, it's a little bit different because mm-hmm. it's a private school. Yeah. 
uh, at Tennessee State University, we are now a state school. So where once upon a time TSU was this public uh, but historically black school, it's now a state school. You can't change the history. It's still right. an HBCU, but right. it's not, uh, you know, a it's not 100 percent or 95 percent black anymore. Yeah. And now uh, some of the scholarships that are offered are minority scholarships that are actually offered to uh, students that are not of color. Hmm. They're offered to white students because they are trying to push for diversity on the campus. Right. At diversity State. means something different. It means something completely different at an HBCU, <laughs> especially uh, those HBCUs that are now, um, which I'm, I'm sure that Tennessee State is not the only one. Uh, there are other historically black schools that are now state funded. Mm -hmm. uh, so because that paradigm shift happens, then all of a sudden when um, a school like almost University of Tennessee, which is a whole nother, <laughs> right, it, in right. Tennessee, that's a different <laughs> subject. They've got their own board of regents. Right. Uh, but let's say University of Memphis. University of Memphis, a minority scholarship or trying to push for diversity means bringing in more black students, yes. more Hispanic students, that sort of thing. But at Tennessee State, it means bringing in more white more students. White students yeah. So our, the classrooms look a little bit different, but the 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 history, the culture, going back for homecoming, that sort of thing is still absolutely the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no surprise, we've got lots of folks who wanted to participate in this conversation. We're a little short on time, but Gregory in Detroit, welcome to Detroit today. We, we uh, only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to get you on the air. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Gregory. Um, yeah, I went to Delaware State mm -hmm. University. Mm -hmm. and it's funny that you said that Delaware State is also a public publicly funded mm -hmm. uh, HBCU. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was there, you know, I met, like, a lot of the white people, if you want to say it like that, uh, a lot of white people I met there were actually from other countries, which huh. is kind of funny. They yep. Most of them weren't from Delaware or the area. They're actually from, like, Argentina, Venezuela. Oh, I mean, they're Hispanic, but, you know, they're, like, white Hispanic. Right, right. And, um... It was funny because I, I, they were all there in athletic scholarships. Like, none of them were there for academic, <laughs> but they were all there for, like, the equestrian team. Right. Uh, I found that we had a lacrosse team, the right. soccer team. Right. That sounds like Alabama State. Yeah. <laughs> Alabama State has that right now. They have a great <laughs> baseball team, uh -huh. but their baseball team is pretty much all Hispanic. Is, yeah. See, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, so and that's a lot of recruiting yeah. about the country. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed my time at Delaware State. I was only there for two semesters. Yeah. yeah. But, um, during my time there, I mean, I met so many friends that I still connect to Yeah, yeah um, well, from I'm the sure. East Coast Gregory, area. Gregory, we're short on time. I want to get uh, Dr. Felicia Commodore to respond to what you were saying. I can hear you. Yeah. You there. We've <laughs> yeah, got well, about 30 seconds me, left. Yeah, go ahead. First, let me say that uh, my sister is an uh, alum of Dell State, so go yeah, Blue Hornet. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think we are seeing um, – we see a number of international students on HBC campuses, which is also, um, when we think about it, not um, a, a new thing when we look at it historically. When we look um, at the 70s and 80s, we actually see that there are a number of HBCUs that had an influx of Caribbean um, and African immigrant students who um, uh, came to their campuses. But now we are seeing, um, not only in athletics, but we're seeing... Um, uh, HBCUs that are starting partnerships, yeah. global partnerships um, with other countries. We see Morgan State has, um, I believe, a partnership with Brazil. We're seeing yeah. um, 
uh, different HBCUs and partnerships with China and um, bringing students here. And, and actually, um, unfortunately, we're, 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 we're out of time. But uh, Dr. Felicia Commodore, Assistant Professor of Higher Ed at Old Dominion, thank you for being here. And Erica Cheatham, Event Coordinator at WDET, thanks for coming into the studio. No problem. I want to send my love to the students at Grambling State. They just lost two students uh, overnight, and yeah. I definitely want to send my love to mm. Grambling State University. Okay, I appreciate that too. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service at Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.